Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. We are offering three separate conversations from last Sunday night's episode, what we learned at today's FDA webcast on Nash drug development. This conversation includes overall impressions and key takeaways of the panelists, Stephen Harrison, Manal Abdul-Malik, Naeem Al-Khoury, Akero Therapeutics Chief Development Officer Kitty Yale, Louise Campbell, and I, took away from the webcast itself, and then afterwards from our discussion of the issues. We start this conversation with initial overall ratings of the meeting's value and key reactions. Drug developers, investors, researchers, and corporate executives wrestle weekly to understand what is happening in commercial development of NASH medications. Join hepatology researcher and key opinion leader Stephen Harrison, liver wellness advocate Louise Campbell, and forecasting and pricing guru Roger Green as they discuss the issues affecting the evolving NASH market from their own unique perspectives on the Surfing the NASH Tsunami podcast. I want to ask each panelist Two questions about today's webcast. Number one, your general feeling about the event on a zero to 100 scale, where zero equals left me completely cold and 100 equals left me red hot with excitement. And the second is one particular statement or answer to a question, or if this is the case, non-answer to a question in this meeting that played a role in shaping the number that you gave. Brave one, go first. Hey, Roger, this is Stephen. I'll I'll go. So again, I, I think it's brilliant to have this podcast to discuss what was recently reviewed by the FDA. And I would give it a five. So I I wasn't, I'm not on fire with the discussion points and the answers, but I do think there were some fresh insights and actually some answers to questions that we had. The two that come to mind the biggest are, number one, the clear guidance that digital slides could be used for interpretation and analysis of histopathologic surrogate endpoints. That's been a huge debate. It's been something that's been bantered back and forth. And I would say it's probably not the biggest fan favorite of pathologists. They do like to have the ability to kind of look in and out of phase, if you will, to look at potentially at more of a 3D image. And that's always been a pushback from pathologists. But understanding the speed at which we need to move to have these slides adjudicated, it's important to hear them say that they're accepting digital path even for a phase three registrational trial. So that was important. Number two, I thought it was really unique that the speaker that showed the slides, I can't pronounce his last name, showed that that you don't have to do phase four. You could actually do a well-compensated, simultaneous, parallel phase three study in cirrhotics and at the same time do your standard F2, F3 NASH trial. You get approval, you hit your surrogate endpoint for F2, F3, you file your NDA while your simultaneous, parallel, well-compensated F4 trial is ongoing, and you follow that out to adjudicate endpoints. And then that came back around as a question to Joe Turner. And the reason he defended that was because of the issues surrounding phase four in the setting of having an FDA-approved therapy. Would patients in placebo continue into the long-term follow-up phase? It's interesting now that, that potentially there is an avenue to acceptance without going through a phase four paradigm. So there's a lot more I could talk about, but those were two that really hit home to me. 
I suspect we'll get back to them as we unpack the meeting a little bit. But thanks for kicking off, Stephen. Who would like to go next? Second brave one. It's Minnell. And I think I also was, you know, around a, a 60% on the, the FDA. And I'll tell you, there's some things that I thought were informative. The FDA clearly wants to seek, you know, a dialogue, partnership, is excited about this area of drug development. We're not anywhere close to histology going away. That is clear that that's still going to remain a surrogate. And what also resonated is, is really the onus of responsibility on us in academia and drug development and biotechnology to move forward with generation and validation of these biomarkers and implement them in the context of our clinical trials such that the FDA can deliberate on the uh, strength of a surrogate to histology. And so I think we have a lot of work to do there. And that didn't really shed any new light or new position of the FDA. But I think we now have to put these validated biomarkers, FAST being one, for example, into practice and integration into our clinical trials. And I think where the meeting gave me a little bit of pause is the area which we have the the most unmet need are our patients with cirrhosis, that we really, short of uh, doing the registration trial after the, the NASH registration endpoint is met, we don't have any accelerated path for this cohort. We don't have any clearly defined non-clinical endpoints. And with that, we're still in a traditional approvement, approval pathway for cirrhosis. I, I think that's more of a challenge to the field than it is an issue with the FDA, but we really have to focus on this highest risk unmet need uh, cohort. Thanks, Manal. Second great answer. Uh, who would like to go next? This is Kitty. I, I think maybe my expectations were maybe a little moderate going in. I, I, I did hear Stephen's comment on the podcast and in the beginning of the week that he was hoping that the presentation may really use the the, the recent paper as a sort of starting point and go further. But I, I think I was sort of expecting the agency more to, to reiterate. And, and I think the presentations were somewhat introductory in some of their nature, but I did like the Q&A at the end. And I think that's where we got some of the more meaningful nuggets. So again, I was sort of like a 50%. I'm glad that Stephen picked up on the question about digital pathology. I actually asked that question. And I, I think it was very nice to get very clear guidance. And I think as we're, we're getting very sort of guided towards multiple pathologists, you know, being able to digitize that is a way forward. It was also interesting to see that they are open to to actual artificial intelligence and, and, and somehow incorporating that into the pathology read, which I think will strengthen the overall read and will ultimately decrease variability. The second item I was paying a lot of attention to was also the area that Stephen was talking about, about really looking at how you could use two parallel studies and use the clinical outcomes from the, the cirrhotic F4 patient population and perhaps run that in parallel with your F2, F3, and then just take that through to a surrogate endpoint. I think what we'll need to get is real clarity that you're not expected to have to create separate outcome data for the F2, F3 population and whether that F4 would be acceptable for your entire package. So I'm curious what the others think and how they interpreted that. That conversation. Um, Naeem, you want to go next? Sure. I think maybe I, I'm more excited. I'll give it like a 70%. Uh, I feel like we do have a new endpoint in uh, histology-based trials, you know, phase 2B3, which is achieving both NASH improvement and fibrosis regression, or NASH resolution and fibrosis improvement. I think this is going to help us to decrease the uh, placebo effect. I don't know if you remember, Roger, at the liver meeting, uh, Stephen presented data with Alda Furman, for example looking at achieving 
these two endpoints with Nash resolution fibrosis improvement. If you look at the placebo response rate, that was at 0% in that small trial. So I think, you know, the placebo effect has been derailing many of the trials. And I think having, you know, an endpoint that has both the Nash endpoint and fibrosis will help us decrease the placebo effect. There was the data with Inventiva also, with Lanafibrinor, where they actually achieved both of them. And if you look at the placebo response rate in achieving both, it was about 7%. So definitely lower than what we've seen in other trials, you know, with Lanafibrinor, for example, where the whole trial was really jeopardized by the high placebo response rate in a way. Uh, so that was exciting. I think the other point, uh, and we, we talked about it a little bit before we started the broadcast, was that if we're going to have this parallel uh, trial design and having the F2, F3 not require any clinical endpoints, what is the sample size? I mean, this is a big deal. Can you actually design this with 600, 800 patients, get approval, and then wait on the cirrhosis trial to show outcomes? I think this will accelerate uh, drug approval. We need more clarity on that point. I think this is a very important point. During the Q&A, I was a little bit disappointed uh, with the fact that they will not really allow any trials based on cardiovascular outcomes or diabetes outcomes because you still need the histology so you cannot power the study to do this. I feel like this is a missed opportunity, but that's, I mean, at this point, I don't see it happening anytime soon. It'd be nice to design a study in high-risk patients, maybe patients with type 2 diabetes, uh, you know, cardiovascular outcomes, include 6,000 people, follow them, look at overall mortality, cardiovascular disease, and liver outcomes. But this is not happening anytime soon. Thanks, Naeem. Excellent point. So, uh, Louise, this is the first time you ever heard one of these, so I'm intrigued by your reaction. Yes. At, um, at one stage, I just thought um, they were reading out from the documents rather than actually putting the discussion forward. But um, as everybody's commented, that improved and certainly the questions and answers shed more light onto the thinking. And I think if I was to rate it from my perspective, I'd probably go about 60% because I think as Manal and the others have detailed, there is now an ability to use more surrogates and an improvement in the surrogate can be taken as an improvement in health, which I think is is a step forward. I think we do have to really use the surrogates quite accurately if we're going to do proof of concept in the early phase studies, because it doesn't take too much to skew a fibre scan. You can do that very easily. It can happen in different of the other markers as well, I think. So therefore, to be able to concentrate, to make sure that our sort of biomarkers and non-invasive techniques come together. They're patient-friendly. If we can prove them in the clinical trial world, it's probably where we're going to be having the strengths after the trial and the implementation into real-life situations. And I think for countries that don't have the wealth of medical techniques and specialists that the US have in Europe and some of the big centers in Asia, I think going to non-invasive and biomarkers, if we can really strengthen their use within clinical studies, and Manal mentioned FAST there, they do have weaknesses. But if you can prove benefits even on the weaknesses, then the strengths are there and they'll be even more highlighted. So I think that for me was 
interesting. I think it allows us to move beyond the clinical trial environment into real-world application a little bit easier than just using histopathology, I suppose. But I did like, as Stephen commented and Kitty, the fact of the AI being advocated, and I think that will be helpful to pathologists and histopathologists. We'll start to trust it a little bit more if it's unified. So I enjoyed it overall. Some areas were as clear as mud, but other areas I thought were very nicely clarified. Thanks, Louise. I'll go last. They teach you in business school that the correct answer to every question is it depends. So I'm not sure whether in my mind this is about a 55 or about a 70. And the question on which my uncertainty rests is something that Kitty and I both picked out of the document that we talked about on Monday, but didn't really come up today, which is when they start talking about the level at which they need to scrutinize for side effects and what does that mean in terms of overall sample size. The ICH document would say 1,500. That sounds like a lot of patients um, and aligns with things like, can you get all this done in one trial? I was hoping that there would be a little more guidance on how to manage the safety side of having enough patients to measure, to, to see what they wanted to find. And that didn't, that wasn't addressed. Now, the things that were addressed are probably more important and more immediate. And there, I think the answers were quite possibly a 70, unless the answer to this one is really crippling. But I just don't think we know yet. I think we're going to have to figure that out. The rest of this conversation presents final takeaways, what each panel has considered the most important issue from the webcast after an hour-long discussion between us. Sit back, listen, enjoy learn. Just a couple of questions I'd like to know about. Number one, particularly after having processed this for the last hour, what's the biggest news item for you that emerged from this webcast? The biggest new thing or the biggest important thing? I think for me, it's the the two points that I made earlier. Number one is we have a new endpoint, which is both NASH resolution and fibrosis improvement. The fact that we have a, potentially a new design for phase three, where you start with the cirrhosis trial, and that will be an outcome trial, and then the F2, F3, and that will be a histology-based trial. I think these were the two main findings for me uh, that got me excited that may actually change a little bit how we think about designing a new clinical trial. I agree with Naeem. Those were, I think, the two main. I think for me, just to add on to that, I think just that clarity around the use of digital pathology was very helpful. You know, I know it's just a very practical implementation, but I think, you know, being able to digitize those image and the, the potential opportunity to use the the um, artificial intelligence w- will be helpful for the field. Well, I don't know that this is a news item as it, it is a message that resonated with me. And clearly the FDA is excited about this area of work. It's wanting to partner, interested in dialogue, wanting to help propel the discovery of biomarkers forward. And they want to see histology go away as much as we do. And so I think I, I was excited to see the openness about exploring such biomarkers biomarkers, but the onus of responsibility is on us to generate the data, uh, to allow them to deliberate it thoughtfully. Two things for me really struck home. Number one, I'm so thankful that Kitty asked the question about digital pathology because I get asked that every week from sponsors. Can we move to digital path? And now we can say, yes, we can move to digital path. That was huge. Number two, I think what has become clear through communications from the FDA to include former communications, the white paper, the webinar today, is that safety is half of the equation. These patients, NASH patients, are at risk of cardiovascular death 
and all the complications that go with that and all the factors that drive that. And if you have a drug that is at risk of worsening that, they made it clear today that that hurdle will be significantly higher. And it's not just that risk, it's other adverse events as well, particularly DILI-related risk. And I think that became clear today that you have to have a clear DILI algorithm for your study to adjudicate results related to a potential DILI outcome or a concern. So I, I think, and there's a lot of other areas, I think, where, where maybe it wasn't as clear, but we had some positive signals, and I think that dialogue will continue to evolve. And what they say today with additional data may change by the time we get halfway through the year, and, and I expect it to, right, as the field evolves. So I'm walking away today. Again, a 5 out of 10 is what I said at the beginning. I, I still think that's the, the case. There were some positive things that, w- that I'm walking away from and some things that I think we need more work to do to provide them data to analyze to give us what we want to hear. Um, I think for me, it's obviously the strength that they're asking for us to put onto non-invasive techniques and biomarkers to take us beyond the biopsy if we can over the next few years. And I, I would hope that the timing of this allows for all of those protocols that are currently on hold or have been suspended due to COVID and the difficulties with that for some of those protocols to now include more non-invasive technologies to be able to look at better outcomes in addition to what they were probably doing before. So I think it strengthens that for me. Okay, I'm going to say two things real quickly. Number one is uh, the degree to which I think the agency would like to move on from histology once it has the data to do that, although it won't produce the data. The academia and the industry have to, but they clearly want to do that. And then second was the importance of safety in the equation. And Stephen, thanks for mentioning Dilly because that jumped out at me and I'd not mentioned it yet. Second question, try to do this in one sentence or less. The most surprising thing you heard today. The combination idea of taking parallel, well-compensated cirrhotics and then the standard F2, F3s and running a phase three parallel trial to get surrogate endpoint approval, but then no need to continue an phase four program, just follow out your cirrhotic cohort to an endpoint. There's a lot of questions around that, right? Because what happens if the cirrhotic trial doesn't show a positive impact, but yet you have subpart H approval? So, I mean, there's other questions I think that we have to ask about that, but, but it's intriguing that that was brought forth by the agency as a potential track for a phase three program. I thought the um, clarity around the idea that goes, even if you've hit your efficacy mile point, if you're not safe enough, it doesn't go forward. And, what, and the story that told about what we've all been wondering since June of 2020, I thought that was not surprising, but the clarity around that I thought was fairly, um, it's clearer than they usually than an agency usually gets. I'll pass on this one. No, no big surprises for me. Yeah, I think Stephen said that really is the big surprise. Third one, no one, no one pass on this one, please. The thing you heard today that will have the greatest bearing on how you perform in NASH development-related portion of your work over the next three to six months. I think um, how I perform NASH-related research, and, and especially as I deliberate issues related to study design, is more of a close eye on early anticipation and deliberation and projective planning with adjudication, with algorithms 
to safeguard against risk or how algorithms should otherwise be managed in clinical practice, whether it be proactive management of a lipid signal or very detailed approach to liver biochemistry alterations. I think we have to anticipate potential drug-related side effects and plan for them with um, algorithms in the conduct of running our clinical trials to minimize risk or manage it such that when data comes to FDA, the anticipation of safety was there, the mitigation of safety was there, because clearly they're weighing both equitably. And it would be a shame to see safety issues that would have otherwise could have been readily managed uh, to mitigate safety, not done so before FDA sees a compilation of data. All of this certainly is hindsight, but I think um, as we plan our, our protocols and clinical trials, we should be defining algorithms for safety management, whether it be glucose or lipids or weight or liver enzymes, such that we are well-informed as to what investigators and sites do and don't do. And because there's so many different approaches to managing the driver of the disease, we got to remember that NASH is an endpoint, not an outcome of other diseases. But because there's so much variability with how physicians manage diabetes and lipids and blood pressure and weight, we almost need to systematize these approaches in the context of our protocols such that we aren't caught off guard in our ability to interpret the outcomes. What I'm taking away from this is that digital pathology can be used and that there is not a hard written in stone adjudication pathway for pathology interpretation, which I think is great. And the fact that they're really interested in artificial intelligence and how can we bring to bear fully quantitative assessment. And and I will continue to encourage and push for AI anytime we're getting liver biopsies, because I think that is really the next giant leap forward in NASH drug development. I think for me, we heard clear that the FDA needs more data to qualify biomarkers as endpoints. And my goal over the next three months or so is to start working on, you know, uh, studies to generate that data. And uh, my bias, you know, I'm, I'm more excited now about uh, combination biomarkers. So instead of just looking at uh, PDFF for steatosis or ProC3 for fibrosis, uh, I'm more interested in uh, biomarkers like the FAST score where you, you know, include the CAP score for steatosis, the liver stiffness for fibrosis and AST for inflammation and look at them as just one endpoint. We've presented some data at ASLD looking at the Gilead combination therapy and the effect on the FAST uh, intercept presented some data also with obedocolic acid. Uh, there's similar data being generated now with the MRI parameters uh, where you combine MRE, PDFF, AST, uh, or potentially other fibrosis biomarkers. In my mind, probably this is the, the future also. So it's going to be the combo-combo approach, combination biomarkers as one score and then maybe combination uh, therapy. So I think this is, you know, the FDA made it clear. Generate data and we will review it. And I want to be part of generating that data in my clinic and conducting these uh, studies. One other thought I had was, uh, you know, if you're a company today that you have, you know, one big trial for F2, F3, and you're going to do the phase four, would it make sense to also design a serotic trial independent? And then you have two chances at hitting that outcome endpoint. I don't know how the FDA is going to look at it. I mean, would you be allowed to, to have two chances at hitting outcomes? Just a thought. And then one final thing is I wanted to just 
just get back to what Manal said about genotyping. I think this is the future. We are seeing more of this RNA interference now, and we can design these uh, short interfering RNAs, ASOs, to target, for example, the PNPLA3. I think we're going to get into more precision medicine, and I think if you're going to do combination therapy, probably this would be the way to do it, where you select the appropriate patient for the appropriate therapy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in the immediate future, I think we're operationalizing our histopathology analysis um, in a way that I think is in alignment with the agency. So that will be something we'll be moving forward with quickly. And then I think we do have that goal of coming up with the most accelerated drug development pathway and, and sort of looking at some of the, the suggestions the agency moved today about how to use your outcome, clinical outcomes in F4 along with your F2, F3 patients on the surrogate endpoint. So trying to work out, you know, how that would really work. So I think that's where we are. And then Naeem, we are working on some interesting correlations with our data for EASO. And I would love to talk to you more about what you think about are the right combinations, because I, I do think that's what we're going to have to look at is it's not just one biomarker, it's combinations. I would love to look at the data. Yes, please do. And Kitty, thanks for your really superb first contribution. It's been great having you with us today. I suppose my goals were probably less than the others in the context that I obviously provide a service that tries to provide the highest quality fiber scans. So from non-invasive technology, it's it's about the accuracy of fibre scan. Everybody says it's a relatively easy test to do, but it's also a very easy test to get wrong. You only need a couple of A or E waves in a small proof of concept study or phase 2A study to actually skew your entire data. So to be able to use FAST and um, fibre scan just in general, it has to be very accurate. So it, it for me, it's about the quality and, and maintaining that quality and effectivity and we do a number of fiber scans so it's not one user just doing it for a small cohort of patients and then not doing it for another 12 months and that it's so for me it, it's about focusing on that data and as name rightly said that opportunity to be able to use that and provide that to clinical trials with the highest quality is key because it is about a patient outcome in the end and proving the proof of concept is vitally important. And then also getting into the larger studies. So it will be all about the efficiency and the effectivity of those tests for me. What I've learned is that progress is more likely on a couple of fronts, but may take longer than people had hoped. That we're going to be with um, histology longer, which I think will slow up the process of getting trials done. People might need longer trials or uh, trials with more patients in them or creative strategies to adjust, and all that may take time, but that the agency seems to be looking at a lot of the same challenges with how things are done now that we are, and are looking for data and ways to make it better. So I believe over time, things will get a lot clearer, just may take a little longer. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We are releasing two more conversations from this episode. We will also be releasing post-event interviews with our friends Professor Jorn Schottenberg of the University of Mainz and Jen Fitt, Head of Global Diagnostics, Sunil Hasmain. Each covers different ground than we did in the podcast itself. I recommend both highly. We will release our next episode, Hashtag Real Talk on Clinical Trial Design and Execution, on Thursday, February 12th. I hope you will join us for the interviews with Jorn and Sunil, and then for the next episode as well. Stay safe and see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. Have any questions for the surfers? You can send them to surfingnash.com. 
and we will answer on the podcast or the website. Thanks for listening. See you next week on the podcast.